pain and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Chronic illness and pain touch every aspect of your life. You quickly discover that you need to manage more than just your illness. I remember going to the doctor for the first time and he asked, what is your pain level today from one to 10? What does it feel like? Does anything make it worse or better? And I remember stumbling through it and thinking, all I know is it hurts and I need help. Over time, I had to learn to properly communicate my symptoms in order to receive the best care and not just from doctors, but from my family as well. The truth is doctors can do only so much, and it is up to us to find ways to self-manage being chronically sick. Not a fun task, but a necessary one. Today's guest is Andrea, or Andy, Kottmeyer Moore. Andy has had rare conditions since she was nine. She experiences Cushing's disease, kidney disease, neuropathy, type one diabetes, vitiligo, retinopathy, and as she would say, she is a very fortunate transplant recipient. Andy has volunteered with the Canadian Diabetes Association from 1992 to 2003, and was once a national representative to the American Diabetes Association in Washington, DC. She is truly the perfect person to discuss self-management for chronic pain and disease, as she not only manages her own chronic conditions, but she also taught a six-week course on the topic at the Alberta Living Well program called Better Choices, Better Health. This course was initially created by Stanford University at the Stanford Patient Education Research Center and was called Chronic Disease Self-Management. Andy, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. What a great introduction, Melissa. I appreciate it. I am so excited and grateful to be here. Um, I admire your personal story so much and what you're doing now uh, for yourself and others by having this podcast. It's great. Thank you for having me. Well, that is very kind. Thank you for being here. It's amazing. Before we really dive into self-management, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your story and all the symptoms you kind of manage? Okay, well, that sounds great. Like you said, I began to become ill, as you put it, uh, at about the age of nine with some problems with my thyroid gland. That then turned into a surgery when I was 15 to have the thyroid gland partially removed. And I began taking supplemental medications at the age of nine. So then within a year of that surgery, I became sick again, quite ill, problems with my vision, problems with losing a lot of weight rapidly, some difficulty with concentration, falling asleep after lunch really easily at, at my desk in class. I was in high school. 
um, and was subsequently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes after going to the emergency department one evening with my dad. Uh, we both sort of looked at each other and said, diabetes, type 1 diabetes. I mean, that's a commercial that you see on TV saying, please help, right? <laughs> I mean, we just had no uh, no inclination that that was ever going to be something that I would have to deal with in this lifetime. So it was very interesting. Um, and that started me on a journey almost immediately uh, in terms of learning how to self-manage because as somebody who was then needing to take insulin, manage your glucose levels. Um, you basically eat, drink, and sleep numbers for a while because one of the things you have to do in order to live well with that illness is to balance. You have to find balance and you have to maintain a fairly rigid schedule in order to accomplish your goals. So I had a lot of help and a lot of education and a lot of uh, of the medical community behind me. And that was my start to working with the Canadian Diabetes Association at the time. And then, uh, like I said, later on with the American Diabetes Association. Um, and it was a, a wonderful experience that over time started to lead me down the road as I got older to new and other symptoms. So at the age of 18, two years later, I started to notice that I was losing pigment in, in little parts of my body around my, um, started sort of around my ankles and elbows, a lot of the joints. And then later on, it showed up in my face. So it's actually quite prominent in my face now that I'm almost 48. But yeah, so that was a, a skin disorder called vitiligo. After that, my specialist was in endocrinology, and he took a look at sort of the, the cluster of illnesses that I was starting to get and did a little bit more digging. And it turns out that I have something called polyglandular autoimmune disorder type 2, which is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it's also known as polyglandular autoimmune syndrome, um, just to clarify. So it's a, yeah, so all of a sudden I've got this really quite rare autoimmune disorder and wasn't sure what that would mean going forward. Did that mean that it would start to affect some of my reproductive organs? Did that mean it was going to affect how I was going to deal with having children or not having children, as the case turned out to be? Um, would that mean later on I would develop other symptoms? Luckily, it's been fairly well managed with a lot of help from my medical team. But, you know, it seems like every five to 10 years, I just got get hit with something new. So that was sort of my early 20s when uh, I got the, the large diagnosis, the sort of umbrella diagnosis. And then in my early 30s, I was actually doing a study it was called the READI study, R-E-A-D-I. And it was investigating what would happen to somebody with type 1 diabetes and their heart health if they were doing weight-bearing exercises and what doing weightlifting and things like that would do for improving 
uh, glucose levels and what it would do for heart health. Well, what started happening was that I started to gain weight very rapidly when I was working out three or four days a week with a certified coach. And the instructor I was working with um, on my weights was also noticing that instead of getting stronger over time, as you would expect one to do, I was becoming weaker and weaker. And by the end of this six-month study I was participating in, I wasn't breathing well at all. I used to walk a kilometer from our local, you know, subway system, which we have above ground, um, to my home. And I I was starting to really worry that I wasn't going to make it home, you know, a few days. Went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with Cushing syndrome. Uh, Now, I can't I can't prove this, but I was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I was told by one of my medical team that it's not only is it rare to have polyglandular autoimmune syndrome, but it's rare to have Cushing syndrome. And to have the two together in the same person (laughs) is exceedingly rare. So it's not really supposed to happen. And it just so happens that it happened in me. And it really led to a downhill slide in any kind of health that I was um, experiencing at that time. So within a year, I had been visiting the emergency department. My blood pressures were 200 over 100. I had a very round steroidal steroidal face, um, also called a moon face. It was basically my body overproducing the hormone cortisol. And that led to depletions in muscle mass and strength. And, you know, I got fairly round in the stomach and really thin in my legs and arms to a point where I just really wasn't walking anymore at to almost any level. I was using a cane, but I was going from my bedroom to the bathroom. And, and that was about it. Full disability waiting for surgery. Surgery was the only treatment for this particular illness. But I did have the surgery. And after about a year of tapering my levels down um, over time, my cortisol levels, um, I was able to really come back almost to where I was before. The only lingering effects have been in my legs. I never really did get my full strength back in my legs, no matter how hard I've tried. But I continue to work um, on that. And I work with a physiatrist and a physiotherapist. And I no longer use a cane. I'm no longer in a wheelchair. I've been more mobile than anyone expected me to be uh, at this part of my life. So I'm I'm just thrilled. I love being mobile. And uh, I'll hang on to this as long as I can. Yes, of course you will. But that's an incredible story and very unique uh, diseases and conditions that you've had to manage. And it sounds like you have had to learn to self-manage from a very young age. So this is a great topic for you. What are the tasks that are usually associated with self-management? So there are basically three tasks that you really have to look at uh, when thinking about self-management. And one is 
how do we take care of ourselves to the best of our ability? Then we need to know how do we adapt to changes that let us carry on with our day-to-day activities? How do we get the best quality of life possible while doing that? And the third is how do we deal with the difficult emotions that can come from having these changes in our lives, um, whether it be chronic pain or chronic illness? And Melissa, as you talked about in your own podcast with your best friend, you know, dealing with difficult emotions is par for the course. It's difficult whether those emotions are internal. Um, well, most emotions are internal, but I, whether the reason for the, the negative emotions is our internal dialogue or whether they're because of something that's happened externally, either to us or about us. And those, that's what I'll, I'd like to talk about today with you. I love that. So maybe let's just start with the first, which is how do we take care of ourselves to the best of our ability? What are the, what are the tips? So taking care of ourselves to the best of our ability, what does that look like? You know, we all have this mind, body, soul connection, and they really do balance out each other. And so we need to look at the three as a whole and not just any one part of, of that triad. So we also have choices. We have a choice to not manage our, our illness or our pain. And then we have the choice to manage it. And there are consequences to either choice. And for me, I think that we manage by using tools. So we have an available set of tools to our disposal. The first is our medical team. We can use and abuse our medical team to uh, answer our questions, walk us through what is happening, um, give us outlooks for our future, tell us what it is that we can do to manage ourselves in the best ways possible, and also so that we can make choices about our health and make choices with our healthcare providers about what our next steps are. That's very empowering to individuals. And the other really important part, I think, in managing our, our chronic pain and our chronic illness is communication. So making sure that when we go to the doctor or when we see our healthcare provider, whomever that is, that we come prepared. We have a list of questions. We have examples in our lives of where perhaps a technique isn't working, or perhaps, you know, even the smallest things sometimes, the things that you think will not make any difference to the doctor, can be a real red flag to them or can be a real source of information for them that you might not think is important, but to them is really critical. So I would just recommend that you let everything be known. Any anything that's new or changing within your your regimen, your daily routine. Absolutely. And honestly, I think too, you know, those journals, the pain diary always helps me with my pain for mine, but obviously symptom diary when you get the symptom, what does it feel like? 
What's the intensity? If anything makes it better, if anything makes it worse to really study what's going on in your body, like your little Petri dish that you are an investigator and to look at yourself kind of from a third person of, of what am I experiencing? Where does it hurt? What does that feel like? And really try to be able to describe it to the best of your ability. I know sometimes that can be very difficult because you're like, it hurts. And trust me, I went there. But the more you are able to describe and all your facets of your pain and your issues and your symptoms, the better care you will receive. It is so true. It is, it is so important to communicate those areas so efficiently so that the doctor can help you the most. Right. And how do we communicate about pain? It's qualitative. It's yeah. not quantitative. So do you make your own measure? Do you use your own scale in order to like, I've never given birth. I don't know what that would feel like to me personally. So my scale might be different than somebody else's scale, for instance. So definitely that kind of journaling is absolutely critical. Anything that can give your medical care team data, they look for data because in medicine, a lot of what medicine does is it will eliminate things as much as it does diagnose, right? And I think that's really something important to to think about as well. You also talked about meditation earlier. I've heard you talk about that. That is a key component to not only your body, but your mind and also your spiritual life. Meditation can be really key in several areas, as is physical exercise. Physical exercise can help in so many ways. It can help with sleep. It can help with uh, pain management to some people, right? It can help with circulation. It can help with just, there are just so many factors of your physical and emotional life that can be helped broad scale with physical activity and meditation. So those are two key factors that I would say are important to, to list in terms of how we take care of ourselves. Yes. And I I do have to say with meditation and physical exercise, it is a broad spectrum that you can find facets in. So say you are not one, like I get a lot of people with meditation. That's like, I just can't meditate. Well, meditation can just be breathing in and out and concentrating on the breath coming in, concentrating on the breath coming out. You don't have to do anything fancy to meditate. And you can find something that works for you in that realm that still slows your breathing, relaxes your body. That's, it's so important. And for physical exercise, you know, we all have limits. I know I can't do certain things with my body because it hurts. And I find other ways to kind of adapt those exercises. So it's kind of a, a trial and error of what, what you're physically able to do but there are, there's something for everybody. Sometimes it's just stretching or the basic things. But what I have learned in watching uh, myself, the, the more, the less I move, the, the worse it gets, because I, the more I sit still, the harder it is to get moving again. So movement, you know, and I get that not everybody, everybody's physical things are different. We're not saying that you, but I'm just saying, if you can stay mobile as long as you can. Cause sometimes when you do start sitting for so long, it is really hard 
to get moving again. And I've done that where I've just sat and sat and sat. And by the time I was able to get back up and move, it took, it was, it was a process, a slow process to build myself back up to where I could do more and more. So I'm sorry, I did not mean to interrupt. Oh, you didn't. No, I'm glad you did. It's not, um, I didn't look at that as an interruption as much as a discussion. Yeah, I I guess I should actually say for sure that if you're going to engage in physical activity, it's always important to check with your family physician first, first to make sure that they're aware and that they agree that whatever you're about to embark on is safe for you. The other things that I just wanted to mention about how we take care of ourselves has to do with regular daily living. So things like getting the right amount of sleep, asking for help when we need it, the breathing, the breathing is huge. And and absolutely, the word meditation doesn't need to be any, you know, large scale yoga retreat. <laughs> it can be exactly what you're talking about is, is breathing. And what that does is it leads to better breathing all around. Pain management can be in the form of medications. Medications can can do a lot for treatment. I, I can't get by without my transplant medications, for instance. And exercise can be exactly like you said. It's where you are at right now. I remember when I did have Cushing's and it was in, at its worst, I was lying in bed a lot. And I started literally with wiggling my toes. And then it was flexing my feet. And then it was, you know, using assistance to get to the bathroom and get to the mobility bus, um, the the handy bus that we have in, in my city um, to get to any appointments I needed to get to physiotherapy, for instance. I was in physiotherapy for two and a half years. But there, you know, there are safe and effective ways to get the job done that you need to do to keep yourself in the best shape possible. Yes. And I do think there's times where you get, I know in my self-managing journey that you get kind of burnt out, but that's when you take a pause and you may do it a little differently or you vary, or you may have to take a, a small break and then come back. You know, everyone needs a break from certain things. And it does sometimes get exhausting because you're like, I get to, I have to do all this stuff. And I don't want to. And, and, and that's okay. Like you're going to have days like that, but it's, it's regrouping and, and uh, recognizing the benefit that these have. And sometimes you may not always feel that benefit, but long-term it's there. I mean, it's medically proven to be there, but it, it can be frustrating and it's understandable, but that's, you know, again, why you do things where you have support. Like you said, we all have bad days. That's, that's just part of being human. And it's okay to have bad days. And it's okay to have a lot of bad days, especially when you're dealing with chronic pain on a daily basis, when you're trying to deal with a new uh, chronic condition, something that's going to be with you long term. So the next thing that we need to look at is what do we need to do to adapt to those changes that help us move on with the normal activities of life? How does that affect your work life? How does that affect your family life, your intimate relationships? How does that affect your relationship with yourself? There are a lot of things to consider, and it is not easy, and it's very difficult to do it alone. 
I do recommend to people that they do lean on their safety network if they have one, because your people that you have chosen for your families or your families of origin can really be that source of support that you need, especially in the beginning stages of what it is that you'll be undertaking. Your energy levels will be changing. Your understanding of regular daily life will be changing. So when we talk about adapting to those changes, we're talking about things like sleeping more often if you need it, not being too hard on yourself if you're not accomplishing your goals that you have set out for yourself. Maybe you have a, a set of goals where you have to carry forward a little bit more every day, or you have a day on the weekend that you do your housework. And because trying to do housework while you're working a 40-hour week may be impossible, you have to also consider how much energy is going into your travel time, how much energy is going into brushing your teeth in the morning. You really need to evaluate what your daily life looks like and, and start to have conversations with your medical team about what it is that you're able to do versus not able to do. Again, where journaling every day helps about symptoms and challenges that you may be having because we need to look at things in a broad spectrum of, you know, we don't have a day very often, I'm sure where you get up in the morning like a robot, you brush your teeth, wash your face, you get dressed, you go out the door. You, you know what I mean? Like we're not robots. So we, you know, we come across challenges in life. And just as we come across challenges in life, we will come across challenges in taking care of ourselves. But it's a learning process and we're bound to make mistakes. So if we do make mistakes, we have to be okay with that and move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a process. And the changes are hard sometimes, especially when your life changes so dramatically. You know, for me, I, I was perfectly healthy one day and then I woke up one day with a headache and it never went away. And it was so drastic that I couldn't do much of anything. So it was all of the sudden everything changed and I had to figure out how do I have some normalcy is there normalcy? And sometimes there wasn't, uh, you know, sometimes you're just trying to manage the symptoms, but it is, it's a process and you're not going to find it overnight. It's just, it takes, takes process and it takes support and other people that go through it. And that's why we always, you know, I always say peer counts, peer support, uh, you know, therapy, all those things to help you cope because you are dealing with a dramatic life shift and you have to kind of accept. And a lot of us have said on here that we had to kind of, it was like a death, a death of our past life to kind of accept the one that we now currently have. Sure. I, th I think that there is a grieving process that has to take place um, because you are grieving the person that you have been. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily a different person moving forward, but that you have to move forward in different ways than you used to, right? So whether that means being okay with changing your bedtime routine, perhaps you need to reduce your hours of working, and what does that mean for you financially? Perhaps you have 
pain issues that are making it intolerable to sleep at night. Even sometimes there are certain people whom sometimes the sheets will hurt, you know, depending on what what their pain is. And always ask questions and always look for new ways to manage in terms of what's available to you? What's at the library? What's online? Now, when I say online, I am going to say it's important that you are critically thinking when you look for things online. So um, look for things that have come either from a university or from an organization that is nationally recognized, something that is .org or so .edu. And yeah, always take whatever information you have and discuss it with your caregiver. I mean, communication is so difficult, but it's so important. I mean, communication too with your spouse or your family yep, and all those things friend. are so important because first of all, they are like a sounding board. I know that without my mother, because I was young when I got sick, but thank God I had her. She was, you know, my sounding board. So when I find something that I thought was interesting, she'd be the one, the more practical side, because when you are desperate and in pain, I was willing to try anything, you know, and some things were a little not so smart. And that's when someone else comes in and says, okay, well, have you thought of the repercussions if this happens? And have you looked at what happens after these procedures or this treatment? So having that critical thinking person with you, because you might not mentally be in a place to make the best decisions because you are desperate. And that was very hard because there are doctors out there that will offer treatments that may not be the best treatment for you. And you have to make those treatment choices for your body and your family, if you have a family. And that's why communicating with your spouse, your loved one, anybody to really have this as a, you're doing this together in a sense, and also to have that critical thinking with you. It's just important to do. Uh, Absolutely. I don't know how many people I've talked to have frozen the minute they start discussing things with their doctor. And a lot of of medical professionals use medical terminology that isn't necessarily easy for a layperson to understand. So I absolutely agree with you that having someone by your side um, that will take in all the information with you that you can then follow up with and, and discuss together is wonderful. If you don't have that, you can get a second opinion from another medical advisor. You can talk about different aspects of healthcare with different health team members. For some people, that looks like a dietitian. For others, it looks like a physiotherapist. And there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with your physician as well. But the more you let them know, the more that you can come up with another plan that works for both of you. Exactly. Sadly, this is all the time we have for today. Please join me next Tuesday to hear the rest of Andy's self-management tips on adapting, how to make the best medical decisions, how do we deal with difficult emotions, and more. Thank you so much to Andy for being on the show, and thank you to my listeners for tuning in. And remember, you are not alone, and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review.
or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.